pulpit. The president of this school is enough to make you want to come and listen. And so uh, I'm here because uh, the Lord has given me this invitation through our brother Maddox. We used to call uh, behind his back, he never knew this, but Dave and his lovely wife Ken, we used, uh, Kim, we used to call them Ken and Barbie. Don't they look like Ken and Barbie? Huh? They kind of do. They even still do with gray hair. That's Ken and Barbie with gray hair. <laughs> Those were the days when I had more hair, by the way. But anyway, I was just jealous of them. Um, I graduated from Western Baptist College in Salem, Oregon. Anybody ever heard of that little school way up there? Yeah. In fact, in those days, last time I was in this gym, I drove from Salem, Oregon. Our team was playing your team here, and we took off. They were playing on Friday, uh, on Saturday night. We took off Thursday after classes, drove straight through, watched the game, got up the next morning and drove back to Salem, Oregon in time for class on Monday morning. Now, I wasn't playing. I was just coming to watch the game. Now, that was commitment to our basketball team. How many of you would drive to Salem just for the weekend? I mean, you know, we, we were committed. That was the days this was called Los Angeles Baptist College. And now it's uh, Master's College. And we appreciate the, uh, the ministry of the school. And like I say, the, all that that you stand for here. I'd like to say I know that this is the hardest crowd in the world to speak to. Not, not this college, but just college crowds. Because I was the worst student. I was probably voted the most unlikely to ever do anything for God. <laughs> in fact, when I, came to, <laughs> when I came to chapel, it was almost with the attitude, let me see what I can have this guy for lunch over. You know, I mean, let's find out if he can bless me. Go ahead, try to bless me. I go to chapel, I go to classes, I mean, we're indulge, we indulge ourselves in the Word of God, we are constantly being bombarded with these great spiritual truths, and now another chapel, why can't I be studying for the test? In fact, I know some of you are right now. <laughs> You're not listening. I saw you reading your books, see? I know. Hey, and, and some of you were up late last night, and all of a sudden this guy's coming here, and he's going, i got to go to chapel. I know you had to come to chapel. I saw you signing in on those sheets over there. In fact, the school that my son goes to, they have like a credit card. You've got to swipe in every time you go to chapel and every time you go out. And if you don't, I mean, it's critical business. I mean, you're in trouble. And so, and if they catch you sleeping, they got people that walk around, they kept you, catch you sleeping, they wake you up, and then you get in trouble. So, uh, you know, you're lucky. You can sleep here. Just don't wake up the guy next to you. That's the main thing. That's our rule. Okay. And by the way, I'm from a church that's pretty lively, and so you don't have to be afraid to clap or laugh or get involved. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I told that student I'd pay their tuition next year, so they did that for me. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I'd get a response on that one. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, if you would, please, and just kind of keep your finger there a moment. I'm not going to give you a prophetic message, by the way, so uh, don't get nervous. I'm going to be one of those that come in, take a passage, bounce on it a while, and take off somewhere else. Um, here with the great expository, you know, capital of the world, right here. Here it is. Uh, I'm going to give you a good topical message. How does that sound? They didn't give me enough time to develop much of anything, so I'm going to have to do the best I can. But when you're done, you leave, and when I'm done, I'll quit. How's that? Is that fair? I know that lunch is next. I'm hungry. I drove two and a half hours to get here, so I'll try to get done at the same time your stomach says it's time for you to go. In fact, at my son's school, when the, if the speaker goes over, they all get up and leave. <laughs> they do. When the bell rings, they can leave. But Dave told me if you did that, you'll leave permanently. So oh, anyway... Don't, don't try. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll try to be done on time. Father, bless our time this morning and anoint us with your presence. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in illumining us to the Word of God and teaching us the Word. You're our teacher. And I pray this morning, Lord, that, that uh, if nothing else, as we leave this place, we'll leave with a very real, uh, a real understanding, Lord, of the cost of our salvation. And Lord, that we'll leave this place today with a sense of the cost of the walk in Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm sure today that we don't have anything to impress these people, but I do pray that you'll bless them. 
I do pray, Lord, this morning that you'll encourage them. Just like that song we sang, that, Lord, that as they leave this place, they'll leave here encouraged. Many have struggled hard and are struggling with their finances, with things around them, just to be here, just to go to school. But I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them this morning. Let them leave this place rejoicing that they made the decision to be here and come to this chapel. Lord, I don't want them to be here and be bored and to be wishing they were somewhere else. So I know I can't do it. I invite you to use me this morning. Make me your vessel, your servant. Lord, just use me and speak through me. I pray that whatever is said will be from you, Lord, and will challenge our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said. I fear that we have packaged a cheap grace for our lazy, won't-take-responsibility culture that we live in today. We are offering an easy-going, you'll never have another problem if you come to Jesus' salvation, or receive Jesus and it's a party. I'm afraid that we've come to a place where we tell people, you respond to the gospel and your life will smell like roses if Jesus comes into your heart. But the problem is that's not true. The problem is is that I'm dealing with people who have come to Jesus and they stink. They don't smell like roses. You see, because the truth is that things are tough. The fact is is that we're not in a playground, we're in a battleground. And as some have said, we're in war. We're in war against spiritual wickedness in high places. We as God's people are in the war of the ages. The good news is we're victorious. We're overcomers. But the truth is it's not easy. We are so used to it. A society of quitters that whenever things get a little hard, we have lost the concept of finishing. We've lost the concept that discipleship costs something. Scripturally, salvation is never presented as an easy way out. In fact, the Bible tells us to count the cost before we decide to follow the Lord over in Luke chapter 14. The Bible says stuff like this. Deny yourself, chapter 14, verse 26. Forsake all others, verse 33. Love others in things less than the Lord, verse 26. To continue in the Word, John chapter 8, verse 31, and on and on it goes. In other words, know what you're getting into before you sign up. Because what you're entering is something that's expensive. It's costly. It's not an easy way out. Maybe this is part of why so many have tended to drop out when things don't go their way. It gets hard. It gets demanding. It it takes time. It takes effort. In fact, we're so used to going to some Christian rock concert somewhere, having people throw out Bibles and say, just believe in Jesus, and man, everything's going to be okay. We walk out of there with some misunderstanding of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about and really what it costs when you turn your heart over to Jesus. Maybe this helps explain why as we look scripturally, that there were many times people who started and didn't finish what they started. They didn't count the cost. If you were to read in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, and speaking of disciples, it says, some of the disciples went back and walked with Him no more. Over in John 8, verse 30, it says, many believed on Him, but few continued in that, in that walk. You see, it's costly to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was in college, in Bible college, and too many years ago to think about, I do remember one thing. I didn't really, I did not really consider the cost. I was so caught up in myself and all the things that were going on in my life and getting out of school and making a buck so I could pay for my school that I didn't really consider the cost. I grew up in a Christian home. Godly parents who loved me who gave me Jesus early on. I didn't really count the cost. I didn't understand the cost, probably. I don't blame anybody for that. But the fact is that this business of discipleship is a lot different than most of us are perceiving it. In the book of Revelation, I want to talk to you today a little bit about the cost of salvation, but I want to entitle it Life's a trade. 
In other words, I want you to understand something today, that everything to do with your life is a trade and it's costly. Your whole life, not just your Christian life. Now, I want to look at Revelation chapter 3 for a moment. And beginning in verse 14, I want you to follow with me if you would. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which you're well aware of, is dealing with the churches of Asia Minor, the seven churches of Asia Minor. In chapter 2, it speaks of the church of Ephesus, and it says they were, there were a people who left their first love. That church was made up of people who had left their first love. In other words, they had had this love, and it says they left it. If you look up that particular word, you'll learn that it means to forsake, to neglect, to leave alone. Now, I don't care what word you want to put in there, but they had neglected their first love. I, I, I like that rendering. They had it, but they neglected it. You go to chapter 3 and verse 14, we find a group of people who needed first love. They didn't even have it. There was a time in my life I realized I didn't have a first love. And I needed it. Look at verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I know we've heard all sorts of translations and understandings of that passage, but basically cold is refreshing. Hot is medicinal. Lukewarm is nauseating. And the writer is saying, I, I, I would that you were cold or hot, but not, not in this state of nausea. So then in verse 16, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, now, now, now notice their condition. In verses 14 to 17, we have a, diagno a diagnosis of the problem. We're going to see what the problem is, and then, then we're going to move a little further here. Look at verse 16. So then because you're neither lukewarm and, or neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We could develop this text, but you understand here, these people were caught up in the pursuit of their own stuff. They didn't even know they needed the Lord. They didn't know what they needed. All they knew was, i got to make another buck. It was a wealthy place. I look at that and I often think of our youth of today, and on my own life in youth. All I wanted to do was succeed. Succeed in ministry. I don't care where you're at, whether it's in the business world or the pastoral realms, a ministry of some kind. We want to succeed. I could ask, how many of you want to fail here? I don't think we'd have many hands. You know, line up. All the failures, line up here. Now, some of us will line up because we just believe that. We're just kind of hunkered up and go, well, I'm a failure. But if I said, how many of you really want to fail? We don't get in line for that. We don't want to fail. We want to succeed. The pursuit of our lives, our things, our stuff. Here was a group of people that were caught up in the pursuit of their own riches and their own things. And he says the end result is that they're miserable, they're poor, they're blind, and they're naked. And obviously he's speaking in this context, context of their spiritual condition. Well, they had money. They weren't poor. They could see with their eyes, but spiritually they were naked and they were poor and they were blind. So now he gives a prescription of the problem in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That familiar passage. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on the throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Here's the prescription. Verse 18, buy of me. What do you mean? Well, when you buy something, you're trading. Do you agree with that? You're trading your buck for their stuff. Are your thing for their thing. And in essence, in this passage, our Lord is saying, look, you trade me your stuff for my stuff. 
Verse 18, he's not asking them to buy things, stuff. He's talking about their hearts and their lives. You trade off the pursuit of your material junk for what I've got to offer you. And you could go in and study the context of all of that. And each one of those, it's a beautiful passage in what you will trade for your stuff for his stuff. You get a better deal, let me tell you. You trade your pursuit of self-fulfillment for that which is of God. Now the reason in verse 19 that God is offering you the trade is because He says, I love you. I love you. I'm going to trade with you because I love you. Not because I get a good deal in what you bring to trade. I love you. And in verse 20 He says where He is. He's at the door of your heart and He's wanting in. That's a powerful passage. It costs to enter the family of God. It cost Jesus His life. But I'm going to tell you a hard truth. This business of believing is not a shallow intellectualism. It's a commitment of my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's giving up my rights for His. Now I want to illustrate this this morning. We're going to have an interactive message for all of you video game buffs. And today, I've got a special candidate that I would like to call up here. You know what? Oh, here's my special paper. Gail Lingerfeld. Will you come on down, Gail? Give her a hand. Gail, I would like you to come and bring your purse with you, if you would, please. Everything you've got, bring it with you. Come on. Right on up here. I know she's anxious. She loves to be in front of you. She told me before, and she said, I just love to get up in front of chapel. I wish that Mr. Maddox would ask me up more often. Oh. Could I have a sound man bring us a mic up for this young lady? Somebody? Huh? Help me out here. Somebody? Thank you, sir. Let's give him a hand. Doesn't he look good? Okay. Are you nervous? Uh, no. No, good. Okay. She's just at home right here. She's up in front of all of her wonderful friends there. Let me see. Is this about your height? Okay. There we go. Let me see. Are you married? Yes. Good, good. Do you have a ring on? Yes. Great. Thank you. All right. <laughs> I'd like to ask you a question. In fact, I'd like to trade with you. It's a deal, okay? Um, is your pocketbook... Is that your pocketbook? You have the littlest pocketbook. Somebody have a littler one than that. Now keep it to yourself. All right. Here we go. Is your pocketbook and all the stuff in it for sale. Can I buy that pocketbook right there and all the stuff in it? It's for sale. Okay? Yes. Yes, thank you. Get right up to that mic. It's all, it's all for sale. All right? Um, you have your wallet in there? No. Your wallet's not in there. Where's your wallet? In my apartment. <laughs> now, I need your wallet. Where's your wallet? With all the credit. Did your husband got his wallet here? Oh, man, no wonder you'd sell that thing. That's empty. <laughs> Do you have your wallet? Well, I want you to give her your wallet. Go, go get your husband's wallet. Real fast. Come on. We don't have a lot of time here, so let's hurry up. Come on. <laughs> I think this is a trick. All right. Will you sell me that wallet? Let me ask you this. Is there anything on you at this point, anything in your person that you will not sell for a price? My ring. Your ring. Now, I don't believe that. If I were to offer you right now $200,000 for your ring, would you sell it? Yes. <laughs> now, if we're going to trade together, we've got to get some principles. If you have a piece of paper and a pencil, you need to write these principles down. Because we're going to trade together. We've got to have some trading principles, all right? Principle number one, here it is. If you're going to be a good trader, you need to know what is and what is not for sale, okay? Because if you can be bought out, you will be bought out. You just showed us that, all right? So principle number one, when you trade in life, you better know what is and what is not for sale in your life. Now, let me see. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you what is in this pocket, right here, this pocket. 
Not this one. This one here. Okay, this pocket. I'll give you what is in this pocket for your wedding band and your engagement ring right now. You won't take it. Okay. I need to tell you something. All right? From now on, we're going to trade for keeps, you and me. Okay, let's shake on it. We're going to trade for keeps. Whatever we trade, you keep what I give you, and I keep what you give me. Is that fair? We shook on it. Did you see her shake on that? Okay. Now, here's another principle. Get ready. Life is not a monopoly game where you play and then go home with all you came with. Life is not a monopoly game. It's big business. There are times you lose. There are times you win. It's costly. Now, there are a lot of people here who would give their right arm to take back deals that they've made in their life. Any of you here agree with that? That you would take back some deals that you've made in your life at one time or another? Any of you? Amen. The rest of you are liars. <laughs> when you make a deal... You always thought that when you made that deal, that it was a good deal. Let me explain why. No one, no one ever thinks they're making a bad deal or trading down. That's called stupid. We always believe that we're trading up or we're not going to trade. Let me give you an example. All of the people who have stood at the altar of marriage believe they were making a great deal. Now, I bet you still think you made a great deal. That's good. You don't have to answer that question, but I don't want to get in trouble up front here. But everyone who stands at the altar always thinks they're making a good deal. A lot of them didn't make a good deal, they think, because they're not in that deal anymore. Now, from now on, everything we do is for keeps. So if you agree to trade with me, I keep what you give me, and you will keep what I give you. Do you understand that? Okay. Now, do you want to trade your wedding ring and your watch? Do you have a watch on? Good. I need another watch. Your wedding ring and your watch for what I have in this pocket and this pocket right here. This pocket and this pocket. Now, remember, it's for keeps. No. No. All right. Now remember, all of life is a trade, young people. Get this down. All of life is a trade. Did you know that 90% of Americans spend all of their lives making deals and then come to the end and have nothing to show for it? How many of you have ever been to a funeral in your lifetime? Any of you ever been to a funeral? Some of you haven't. I realize that. Okay. How many of you have seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the graveside? Did you raise your hand? No. Nobody? They, they spend all of their life making deals. And they come to the end. And 90% of us, when we get to the end, realize that we've made a life worth of bad deals. Now, you don't know my heart, do you? You don't know me. Have we ever met before? We should have. You seem like a nice person. Thank you. Good. All right. Principle number two. Here it is. Write it down. I'm not done with you yet. We're getting good here, okay? But we've got to get all the principles down, okay? Number two, here we are. When you are trading, don't be afraid to say no. You said no, didn't you? Some trades are bad deals. Especially when you don't know what you're trading for. Did you know what's in this pocket? Do you know what's in this pocket? But you know what's on this. And you know what's on their, your little arm, don't you? Okay? So she didn't know. Principle two, when you're trading, don't be afraid to say no. All right. We're trading for keeps, right? Okay, I want you to listen to me now. I want you to listen very carefully because I'm going to ask you to repeat what I say. Okay? And you need to repeat it in there so they can hear it. So as soon as I'm done, you repeat what I say. If you would trust me for the next few minutes of our time here, trust me completely, Trust me fully. When you sit back down in your seat by your husband, you'll be better off when, than when you came up here. Okay, tell the people what I just said. 
Uh, for the next few minutes, uh, you will trust me completely. You will trust me fully. You will be a better person when you go down and sit by your husband. All right. Is that what I said? <laughs> now, here's principle number three. Before we go any further, here's principle number three. You must understand each other when you make a trade. So you need to understand me when you make a trade. Principle, here's the principle. You must understand each other when you make a trade. You said, how in the world is this going to be redemptive when he gets done? Just hang on with me, will you, a minute? All right. Let me repeat it. I said, if she trusts me, if she trusts me fully and completely, that when she sits down, she'll be better off than when she came up here. Now that means, if she trusts me and doesn't trade up, what am I? It's called a liar. And you know what? If I'm trustworthy, she'll trade. She'll trade up. All right? I will give you what was in that pocket, by the way. Aren't you glad you didn't trade for that pocket? I will give you what was in that pocket, which was five bucks. For your handbag, your husband's wallet, and everything in him, I'll give you this five dollar bill. You won't trade. Now, there's two factors in trading, folks. You need to catch these. Life is for keeps. Remember we talked about that? You can't go back and change once you say no. And number two, everybody trades on the basis of two things. You always trade on the basis of two things. Number one, your understanding, or number two, someone else's word. In other words, when I go buy a car, I either buy the car on the basis of I know that car inside and out, or I buy that car on the basis of someone else's word. Maybe, maybe the car dealer's word. And they're always honest, aren't they? Most of the people, now get this, most of the people in our world are trying to rip you off. Did you know that? There's a lot of things I don't know about in life. And one of those things is cars. I don't know anything about cars. I mean, all I know is you lift it up and the thing that's underneath there, that engine makes that car run. But if I had to fix it, I'd be in trouble. So when I go buy a car and somebody says, that's a good engine there, buddy. This is the top of the line engine. And you buy this car and you're going to drive over the best engine in the world. I'm going to say, whoa, it's the best engine in all the world. If I believe the guy. So I'm either going to trade on his word or my knowledge. And she's trading on her, her, uh, my word or uh, her knowledge. Principle number four. Write this one down. This is a good one. I like this one. If you don't know your furniture, know your furniture dealer. You say, that's deep. This is big spiritual truth. Write this down. If you don't know your furniture, know your furniture dealer. I want to t say to you, what was your name again? It, it, it's Gail. Gail, I, I, I don't mean this bad, but I do want to say to you, you are a typical Christian. She's ready to slap me, by the way, for embarrassing her and getting her up here. And I'll say why. Why would anyone turn down a good deal that I just offered you? You didn't think it was a good deal? Well, principle number five. Okay, you ready for this? I'm going to give you one more chance here, maybe, if I will offer you some grace. Number five. In this world, most of God's deals don't make sense. Did you catch that? Most of God's deals don't make sense in life. Do you understand that? Let me illustrate. Matthew 16, 24. If you lose your life, you will find it. Isn't that a great truth? Does that make sense? Well, I'm a college student. It really makes sense, Pastor. <laughs> well, I'm a pastor for 24 years and I have a hard time with that truth. In other words, I lose it all to get it. In the business world, you get it all to keep it. It's the opposite. You see, we go to church and we hear these deals that God has for us. We say, Amen, Amen, old preaching brother. And we walk out of there. And we go back to our home. And we don't do a thing about it. You know why? 
We don't believe it. We don't really consider the cost. For instance, uh, the kingdom of God is like a man who's always trading up. He's trading pearls, though. He's always trading up. And God's deals never make sense. They don't make sense. Me being a pastor was God's direction in my life. It doesn't make sense if you knew me before. In fact, I went back to a reunion of our school and after being gone for ten years and all these old guys start coming back, well, all of a sudden we get older, you know, and hair's falling out and gray's coming in and all the things are happening. But one thing I got that time while I was at the reunion, I remember it as a memorable, a, a memorable occasion as they said, Tim, I can't believe you're actually a pastor or that you're still there. <laughs> You know, it was like, like I said, I wasn't expected to be there. I don't understand God's deal. Principle number five is that God's deals don't make sense. First Timothy chapter four, verse eight. Get this one. Godliness is profitable. What? For all things, it says. In other words, everything costs something, young people. Everything costs something. No godliness without cost of time and commitment to build relationship. You hang around God long enough and you'll develop a relationship. But I want to tell you, everything you do in life with God is going to cost you something. Alright? And I want to tell you that the whole Bible is full of trades. Luke 6 verse 38 says, Given it shall be given to you. In other words, receiving requires doing what? Giving. Does that make sense? It costs you something. Principle number six. Write this one down, then I've got one more deal for you. All right? Then you can sit down and, and then we'll close out. Principle number six. You, don't, you often don't get a second chance to trade once you've made a bad deal. You often don't get a second chance. But I want to tell you, I think you're a nice person. I'm going to offer you a little grace. All right? Oh, that sounds like a good name for a radio station. Grace to you or something like that. Okay? Now... I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to offer you a little grace. And remember, it's for keeps. So I, I got another $5 bill here. It's in this pocket. <laughs> I didn't show you what was in this pocket, but I got it out of this pocket. Okay, did you catch that? It was a slide of the hand trick. All right, now how much is 5 and 5? 10. Okay, you're good. You're a math major, I bet. All right, here we go. Now, I will give you these 10 bucks. Remember what we said earlier. I'll give you the 10 bucks... For your purse, your husband's wallet, everything that's in it, and your watch. Ten bucks. No. All right. Let's give her a hand and have her sit down, okay? Now, Gail, I want to tell you, you lost. I'm going to tell you why. Because you did not hear what I told you earlier. Did the rest of you hear what I told her earlier? Can anybody tell me what I told her earlier? What did I tell her? Yes, sir. If you will trust me for the next few minutes, trust me fully and completely, that when you sit down, that you will sit down better off than when you came up here. I came today prepared to bless you, to bless you in all my pockets, to bless you and not to rob from you because I told you that if you would trust me that when you sat down you would be better off. Someone's saying, I wish I would have traded with that dude. But she's not any different than most of us. And let me tell you why. God says, you trade with me, folks, and you will always trade. Say it. Now, that was the weakest up I ever heard in my life. God says, if you trust me and trade with me, you will always trade. I don't think some of you believe that. Especially those of you who have made some deals with God and you're hurting right now. We trade based on our intellect, not God's Word, folks. He wants to bless us. If we will just trust Him. He wants to bless because He doesn't need what we have. I didn't need what Gail had. I got enough of the plastic stuff in my pocket. 
I don't need your husband's wallet. And I certainly don't need that red purse. I may be weird, but I ain't funny. One of them funny boys or whatever that is. But anyway, I'm going to tell you right now. I didn't need her stuff in a holy way. God does not need our stuff. We're not convinced of that. We're scared to death of God. And He's going to rip us off at some point. Oh, if I surrender to the Lord. And I just see old one. He'll send me to Africa. And I hate snakes. Principle number seven. All of God's trades don't make sense. We are just supposed to trust Him. You see, we based our trades on our intellect, not God's Word. And He wants to bless you. He wants to because He doesn't need our stuff, folks. There are good and bad trades in the Bible. Let me give you a few bad ones and a couple of good ones and then we'll close. And I'll end this out with what our conclusion is here. I hope you're catching what we're saying today. I don't like bad trades. And the Bible talks about bad trades. Matthew 16, 26. What if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Is that a good trade? How many of you would trade your soul for the best home in Beverly Hills? Anybody trade it today? I'll see if we can work the deal out. It's a bad trade, isn't it? The word lose in the Greek is used six times and means damaged. And I don't believe... I really don't believe that in that passage, that particular passage, is talking about going to hell. In fact, I'm convinced that if we really believe that truth, in, in essence of what it's teaching, that we would do something about it. I believe it, it simply it's just saying this, and you can argue with me about that later over lunch. But I think it's saying this, that what if you gain the whole world and in the process you're damaging your soul in the process of gaining this world's stuff? I see so many people in my office week after week who have damaged souls because of their pursuit of the world and not Christ Jesus. Oh, they claim to be a Christian. But they're damaged. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you do anything without love, what does it do? It profits you nothing. I hate trading when I don't get anything out of it. How about you? That's not a good deal. If I'm going to give something like love and not get anything out of it, then I don't want to do the deal. Really, Gail only traded on the basis she was afraid she was going to lose, not gain. Hebrews 4, verse 2. Man, look at that with me real quick, if you would. Hebrews 4, verse 2. I think we need to read that one. This is a powerful one. This is not a good trade. It says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But get this. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. What are you saying, Daly? I'm saying this. To hear the truth and not act on it hardens you. It does you damage. You come into this chapel day after day or week after week. You go to those classes and you're being bombarded with the truth of God. If you're not acting on that, you are literally damaging your souls while you are here. You leave this college after all the word that's been put into your spirit. You leave this school without acting upon the word. You are damaged. You are worse off than you came in. I would venture to say it would be better had you stayed home. And I mean that. There are students who come in year in and year out, who come into Christian colleges, and they're there because mommy and daddy put them there. And they'll pay for it if they'll go there. And they get there and they hate it. And they're spending their lives proving they didn't want to be there. But they're hearing truth and stuff's coming in and the Word and they're getting chapel. Even though they're sleeping, they can't get away from it. And the Holy Spirit's doing a work in them. And they're rebelling against the Word of God. And they leave here worse off than they came. Because they're damaged. See, I don't believe that. Well, try it. Every Sunday, every day you hear the Word of God, every time you get into your devotions, every time you pick up that book, I'm saying you're taking a risk. If I don't put action to what God tells me, I'll damage myself. 
That's not a good trade. Look at some good trades. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess sins to one another and you will be healed. Now, some of you might have a little problem with that verse, but I'm just going to tell you this, what it says. Some people are not healed because they haven't confessed. You confess sin and you'll be healed, it says there. Here's the trade. You give up your, your bitterness and God says, I'll heal your bodies. And don't say that pastor that came in said everybody who confesses sin gets healed. But I'm going to tell you this much, that there is sin, there is sickness that is there because people are harboring bitterness and anger and things in their life and unconfessed sin. And when they'll confess that, they'll be healed. That's the promise of the Word of God. Now, that's a good trade. How many of you like that trade? I give up my hurt for His healing. There's a young lady who went into a pastor's office she had been sick for years. She'd gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and it was sick and was not getting any better. In fact, she was bedridden by that time. She'd never been married. She'd been sick. She came into this pastor's office. As the pastor was counseling with her, he looked at her and said, until you deal with the unforgiveness and the bitterness in your life, you will never be able to be healed. She looked at him he said, you have never dealt with that illicit relationship that you had with your fiancé before and years ago. You never dealt with that with yourself and with your parents. And it's been a stronghold in your life ever since. He said, today, if you'll deal with that, I believe you're going to experience a healing that you've never had. That day if she dealt with that stronghold, that, that sin in her life, she walked out of that room a new person. She's no longer in bed and serving the Lord faithfully and free from all the pain and all that stuff that she was going through. Now, I just want to tell you, that's a good trade. It's a good trade. One of the good trade in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How many of you want times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord? Hey, he says, bring your sin and repent of it, and I'll give you my life, and I'll give you seasons of refreshment. I'll take that. He's getting a bad deal. Folks, everything in this life is a trade. And the Holy Spirit lives in us to tell us how to invest our lives, to make right deals. We've got this book, the, living, the written Word of God, and we've got the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who directs us in making right deals. But I want to tell you, your whole life is investing I want to ask you a question as we close this morning. Are you investing your spiritual gifts that God has given you? Some of you have never even settled in a church. You've been here for the last two or three years and all you've been doing is going to the next show from one place to another and you're looking for something, but you sure ain't finding it because you've been dissatisfied or whatever the case is. And God's saying, you know, you've got so much to offer and all you're looking for is someone to bless you. You're not investing what I've given you. Find out what is not for sale in your life, folks, or you're going to sell out. I've seen so many people come through my office who have sold out because they really didn't know what was for sale and what wasn't. Our sister said, I wouldn't sell my ring. I said, $200,000? <laughs> Here, she almost broke her finger trying to get it off. Not really. But you see, we've got to know what is for sale and what isn't. What in your life is not for sale today? Find out. Because I want to say this as I, as I stop. And I want my wife to come if she wouldn't. I'm going to ask her to play something in a minute. God doesn't use His power to force you. You know that. Because you know why? God wants love. And love has to be a choice. And trust has to be a choice. God is not 
That's part of our trading problem. We've got misviews and misconceptions of who this God is that we worship. That's why I'm glad you're here. And hey, if you're taking it in and learning about this great and wonderful Lord that we serve, and I tell you, I love Him, and I'm only growing to love Him more every day that I know Him, but I'm getting to know Him better. But I want to tell you something. God's not in the business forcing you in deals because He wants your love. And He wants your trust. And your trust will only come out of a choice. Folks, salvation, Christianity, your life with God, it all is expensive. It's all a trade-off. Yeah, you're trading off. You say, man, I gave up all of this for Jesus. That sounds so good, but I want to tell you something. You didn't give up anything in one sense for what you got. Look at your deal. Some of us are so often like the Israelites looking back over our shoulders going, oh, oh, look what I had in Egypt. Oh, boy, if only I could go back to Egypt and eat leeks and onions and garlic and have hausatosis every morning when I wake up. If only I could do that. Because I'll look at the perilous things I'm going through. You see, we're so quick to look back and regret our decisions for the Lord. But I want to tell you, when you trade with God, say it with me, you're always trading. When you trade with God, you're always trading. When you trade with God, you're always trading. How many of you really believe that? How many of you are showing that? How many of you really know the Lord enough to trust Him today that if He calls you to whatever, you're ready to do it? You're ready to make the trade. The trade of your life. The trade of your family. The trade of your finances. You'll risk it all if you hear the voice of the Lord. I'll tell you, if you trust Him and trust Him fully, here's the good news. At the end, you'll be lifted out of here better off than when you came in. Sound good? Let's stand if we could. I don't know what your normal procedure is. I know it's lunchtime, and that procedure is to leave and eat. But I want to ask one thing. If you'll give me just one more moment, I'm going to ask my wife if she would just play that song. Actually, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. I want to ask you today, if there's anyone here, because I know in a group this size, And I don't care if it's a Christian college or what it is. In a group this size, there are people here that are possibly saying, Man, God, that hit me right between the eyes. I've not been trusting you. I've not been counting the cost. In fact, I've been after my own selfish pursuits, trading with this world, trading everything I've got on the stuff that's all around me, and sacrificing everything at that cost. And God, you called me. You've called me. You've led me. You led me here for a purpose. And I've gotten sidetracked, God. Today, by your grace, I'm coming back on target. You know, it's no trick here, folks. It's trade what you've got for what he's got. First John 1 John 1.9 is if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, you bring your stuff, trade it in. He said when you sit down, you'll be better off. Yeah, but it's hard. What is it hard? I'll tell you, four years ago, I started competing in triathlons. I asked myself, why in heaven's name am I doing this? Every time I go out to run or get in the pool or get on my bike. But I want to tell you one thing. It's hard. It's discipline. And if that's true in the physical realm, how much more in the battlefield we're in on the spiritual realm? Do you think this is game? This is not a game, man. You're in warfare. And the devil would love to trip you up. My Jesus, I love thee. Is that your prayer today? And Lord, I'm trading it in. I'm trading it in today. God, I'm sick of these games I've been playing with you and not trusting you, not believing you, Lord. We're going to sing that song one time through. 
I don't know if our brother, our, our worship leader, do you know that song, brother? Do you know the words? If you'd come and sing it. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. As he sings it, I'm just going to be right here and I want you to come. And then we're going to dismiss everybody and I want to pray with those who come. I won't keep it long. We're just going to pray together. We're going to commit to trading with God. We're going to commit to bringing the stuff and saying, God, here's my stuff. I want yours. I'll trade it off, God. It isn't any good. I give it up. We're not talking salvation, man. Most of you here, I'm sure 99.9 tenths are already born again. We're talking about commitment, man. Land it on the line. Excellence. Are you ready? Sing it. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Pray, man. If you've already made a decision, you pray for others. You know there are students in this school that need to make this decision. <laughs> I know I did. I'm waiting. Come on. Make it an altar right up here. Come and kneel before the Lord. Say, God, I trade it off. Right now, I trade it off. If you don't mean it, don't come. Go ahead. Bow down right there. Give it to Him. Give it to Him. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Dave, would you come and close us out? I'm just going to say as he comes, I praise God for these people. If there's anybody else, get up here. You run if you have to. Come on. I know these aren't the only ones here today. I had to make the same decision. God, I've been trading for everything. In my ministry, I was trading stuff in the wrong direction. I was pursuing my junk. I said, God, I give this stuff up, man. And when I get done, it's going to be better. I hope you understand where my heart is here. I'm not condemning you. I'm giving a message God gave to me. This is my heart. I didn't trust Him. Come, if you would, just take close it. Bless you, Jesus.